Revelation 4 and 5. Uh, I put it uh, just a review of the letter to the seven churches. Remember I was talking about the four levels of application? Uh, as you read uh, Genesis chapter 2 and 3, uh, Genesis, Revelation chapter 2 and 3, sorry, my mind is somewhere else. It's in the beginning, not the end. Um, those were specifically Jesus writing to the seven churches. Those were historical churches, real churches, real places on earth in modern-day uh, Turkey. And uh, real leaders, real people. And yet, uh, as we read through there, there's also, uh, at the end of each of one of those, he says, He who hear, has ears, let, the, uh, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so, there's that personal application. He who has ears. We all have ears, right? So God's talking to you. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. The church is not the building, it's you. Amen? Amen? We are the church. Anywhere you go, I've been on the other side of the planet in the middle of a jungle, and there's brothers and sisters who are there, who love the Lord, can't even speak the same language, and yet we are one. We are the church of God. It's just an amazing thing, that connection, that koinonia. The same spirit that was in me is in them. It was in Christ, and it's just a beautiful thing. But he who has ears, listen to what the Spirit's saying to the church. There's things that God wanted to say to you. And on this piece of paper here, you have the personal application. If you remember Ephesus, they neglected priorities. Remember that? They're all about doctrine. They're about the business of God. But they, they forgot about their first love. They left their, they left their first love. Smyrna. They were getting persecuted. They're about to go into a, a time of, of tre- tremendous suffering. And there's satanic opposition. There's going to be satanic opposition in your life as you follow Jesus Christ. And the Lord's comfort to them was, was hold fast. Hold on. Don't let go. Then to Pergamos. What happened? They, the world married the church. Boy, I see that in America. Boy, how we just follow what everything the world has, the culture and everything. We should be following, those who are Christ should live as Christ lived. Uh, Me included, by the way, especially, by the way. You know, I just see it in my own life. Well, there's just things that I'm so drawn to in this world, culturally, you know? And uh, I begin to live according to the world's values and not to Jesus's values. Sometimes they match up, but most of the time they don't. And then you begin to get greedy, or you begin to be selfish, or you begin to... It's like, no, no, no. But Pergamos says that when the church married the world, and Thyatira, the, the exhortation was to flee pagan practices. Boy, how, how a religion gets in the way of relationship a lot. How often do, uh, do you think you're right with God because you go to church on Sunday morning and you pay your tithe and all these things and yet, you know, you go home or, or you preach a message and you go home and you, you know, and you don't treat your family well. Or you aren't loving the neighbor, the person that's right in front of you. Flee, you know, those pagan, the, the, the pagan practices, the ritual. Just have that heart relationship with the Lord. He wants our hearts. Sardis told him to be watchful and diligent. Philadelphia, 
They were loyal ambassadors. They represented the Lord well. Some of you need to be encouraged that you've been representing the Lord well. He's proud of you. Good job. Hold on. And he promised then that they're not going to see the wrath to come. Laodicea. Now that's a wonderful church. Don't repent and, be, and to be committed. Knock it off. Right? Repent. You know everything good to say about a couple different churches there? Boy, I hope that's not us. Lord help. But these things that apply to all the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That means that each of our churches can hear something that the Lord's saying to the other church and go, wow, you know what? I can learn from that. We can learn from that as Christ Community Fellowship. We can look at a church that's being persecuted. Are we being persecuted for our faith? No, pretty much. But our brothers and sisters in China, our brothers and sisters in Saudi Arabia, our brothers and sisters in in southern Philippines and all these other places, they're being persecuted, slaughtered, India, for for their faith. And we can see uh, how they endured hardship. And when hardship comes on our life, we can look to see how the Lord encouraged them. We can go, wow, that's for me as well. And so there's these things here. I don't have time to go all over them, else I won't get through chapters 4 and 5. But on the back of this paper, there's a little design tally. And I talked about the prophetic profile, that possibly one of the applications is that this is a picture of the uh, ages of the church, that each of the churches are representative of, of different periods of church history. Again, take that with a grain of salt. To take it with a grain of salt, just, I just find it interesting that in any other order it wouldn't work. And that it does lay out, interestingly, uh, just the church history. And, and there's a little design tally of, of Ephesus and, and what the, remember the seven things of each letter. The name, the title, the commendation, the concerns, the exhortation, the promise to the overcomer. And, the pro, and uh, obviously there's a promise to the overcomer there. But, uh, and then that f- closing phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. But I find it interesting, if you look at the prophetic profile on the bottom, the first three churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamos, they had the promise before that he who has an ear. He promised the overcomer, and then he said, he who has an ear. But then in the last four churches, just kind of for fun, here it says that that promise was after. And by the way, also those last four churches after had specific references to the second coming. Now, some kind of jumps to the conclusion, you know, that before and after is, is, uh, is an interesting thought. Before what and after what. And there might be an allusion to the rapture there. There might be some other things that uh, people might jump into. But uh, with Thyatira, they were told, uh, basically, hey, if you don't knock it off, you're going you're gonna to see the tribulation. And Sardis, there was... Uh, there, there was kind of a, it was, it, there was a reference there, but Philadelphia was told that, that they would not experience the great tribulation that is coming upon the whole world. And then Laodicea, obviously, it talks about it as well. But anyways, uh, there were references to the second coming in the last four churches. And so uh, we could talk about that at a later time. But uh, the important thing, I think, for us to note is what's on the front of the page, the application the personal application. What's the Lord said to your heart of the last weeks? And have we changed one bit?
There's a blessing in this book for he who hears and does it. You know, have we changed? Have we looked at these things? And, and have we been devoted to doctrine? To doing the right thing? But our heart has been far from the Lord. Have we changed that? Have we asked the Lord? Have we begun to worship Him? Have we begun to, to just ask, Lord, will you capture my heart again? I'm tired of going through the motions. Capture this heart of mine. Heal me. There's so many different applications there, but I, I just challenge you, I exhort you to go and, and to listen to the Lord. Read over that, those verses again. See if the Lord would say to your heart. See what He's laying on your heart about our church. There might be something in your heart that you're just frustrated with. Begin to pray and not complain. Begin to pray that the Lord would begin to heal us and bring us to the light and to open our eyes and let us have spiritual ears to hear what the Lord might do to change us. Man, you know, anybody, you know, I think we're not perfect. This church is not perfect. (laughs) Amen? Amen. Full of people who are broken and messed up and crazy backgrounds, all that stuff. And the only thing that we're, we're all come together is we say, Lord Jesus saved us by his blood. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. That's awesome. But in that, the Lord didn't just redeem us to stay the way we are. He redeemed us to be conformed into his image, to continually being changed. And as iron sharpens iron, I pray that we would continue to be changed and molded into his image. Amen? Amen. And so as we end uh, the, the, the letters to the churches, we, we go back to chapter 1, verse 19. It says, Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. Again, the divisions of the book of Revelation. You want to find the outline? It's right there in chapter 1, verse 19. What you have seen, that was chapter 1, a vision of, vision of Jesus. What is now? The churches, chapter 2 and 3. And we're now going to the third section. What will take place later or after this? Which is the word metatauta in the Greek. Uh, in the ancient Greek. And, and uh, that deals with the future, the end. What's going to happen after these things? And after this, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Metatauta. I looked, and there before me was a, do- um, was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me was like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this, Manitoutha, beginning and end, that right there, that first verse. This is a signal to us that now things have changed in the scriptures. Verse 4, and that word, after this, I looked and before me, and there was a door. And the voice that I heard from chapter 1 said, hey, come up here, and I'm going to show you what's going to take place after this. Come up here, after this, after what? After the things of the church. I believe it is at this point, it's kind of interesting, Some uh, that when it talks about come up here, many see John's going up to heaven at this point as a symbol of the rapture of the church. Many see that. Again, it's a controversial subject. If you don't, if you don't hold to it, that's okay. But that's kind of where I'm coming from. But uh, many see John's going up to heaven as a symbol of the rapture of the church. John is called up to heavenly uh, to the heaven by the voices that sound like a trumpet, just as the church will be described, as described by the church in First Thessalonians chapter four, verse sixteen and seventeen. And uh, we'll read that in just a little bit. 
But uh, so some people think that uh, you know John is a is a is a representation of the church, and the church just like John got caught up, uh, so did the church. And if you read in First uh, First Thessalonians chapter four verse sixteen, it says, "For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead will uh, in Christ will rise first, and after that." We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with him forever. Therefore, encourage another, one another with these words. Again, many, many scholars believe that in uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, that John experienced uh, the rapture, so to speak, and was taken by the Spirit. I personally hold to this view, but again, it's important that you go, go before the Lord and you study the scriptures and see what the Lord is showing you. So I challenge you, go before the Lord, you study these things. I find it very interesting that from chapter 4 through chapter 19, that the church is not mentioned. Chapters 2 and 3, it is mentioned exclusively. And then all of a sudden, no, and it become, then it becomes very Jewish. Very interesting. And John is brought up. Nevertheless, the point is that John is brought into the throne room of God, that God wants to show John what's going to take place later in the future. In chapter uh, 4, verse 2, And at once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there, had the appearance of jasper, ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled around the throne. You know what? There is someone sitting on the throne. This world is deceived, especially in this nation, you know, with atheism and godlessness and all this type of intellectual... trying to find a word that's (laughs) churchy. Horsewash, or whatever it is. Gosh. The denying that, that there's anyone that you have to be accountable to, the, the, the resistance to authority, the worship of the individual, the age of the artist. It's all about me, the American idol. But I, there's someone who's sitting on the throne of the universe. And one day, every single one of us on heaven and earth and under the earth and all who are dead will bow before him and cry out that Jesus is Lord. That is reality. I used to live in that darkness. I used to live in that other kingdom, the kingdom that was about Matt and the kingdom about uh, what I could be and all who I could be and all this type of stuff. Me, me, me. And that ended in me wanting to die. That ended in death. That ended in depression. Some of us take a little longer to get there. Some of us get there quicker. I, I got there when I was 19 or, or so. And the Lord pulled me out of darkness. He reached down and he grabbed into this kingdom of darkness and gave me his light. And I began to realize who is this? 
sitting on this throne. I, I've been worshiping. I put my placed myself on this throne. But no, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord God, save me. Because I'm accountable to you. And when I think back of all the horrible things I've done, there's no way even in my human judgment I would declare myself innocent. Let alone God who says that every deed, both both visible and secret, will be judged, will be brought to light. That is scary. And not only that, the inner workings and the intents of our hearts, he knows. That's going to be a crazy day. There's one thing I want on that day. Mercy. Have mercy upon me, God. I want the judge to look at me and say, innocent. Because my son paid the price. You go free. Yeehaw. And that has happened. But there's someone sitting on the throne. And I looked and I saw there was someone on the throne. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. Jasper like, is the word for diamond, I think. And ruby, or sardis, some of you say, say is, is red. So this brilliance of clear or whatever shining thing, you know, like brilliant white light and, and, and red. And then there's this halo around it. That word rainbow can be translated halo, shown like an emerald and it circled the throne. It's just this brilliant. As you look in Ezekiel and these other places, they say it looks like just heated metal. It's just a crazy, you can't even focus on it. Paul, speaking to Timothy, said, uh, speaking of God, and, and uh, Timothy, I think it's 2 Timothy, well, first or 2 Timothy, 6.16, I didn't write it down. Who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light? Whom no one, no, or uh, no one, you know, in other words, no man has seen or can see. To him be honor and glory forever and ever. God, our God lives in inapproachable light. Our human bodies cannot be in the presence of God without evaporating. God, we just can't comprehend it with these little things. They can't comprehend the spectrum. John is brought by the Spirit, and in the Spirit he's able to see what the flesh cannot. No flesh shall glory in his presence. One day you will see this throne. I hope you'll see this throne. but this brilliant light emanating from the throne. In verse 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, or lesser thrones, thronos in the Greek, and seated on them were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, some uh, people say that these are angels. Some people say that uh, these are glorified human beings. Others say that this is the church, depending on what your background is. Um, I don't think it's angels because the angels are clearly described in context here in the next verse or so. Um, I believe these are glorified human beings or it might be the church because obviously we have a, a hint here dressed in white. 
seated on the thrones wearing gold crowns. Remember Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, when he's talking to Smyrna, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in a prison and test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days, but be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Revelation 3, verse 4 to Sardis. You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one is victorious like them will be dressed in white. And I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, for I acknowledge that name before my Father and before the angels. Revelation 3.11, speaking to the church in Philly, right? I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Speaking of crowns, Revelation 3.18 to Laodicea. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich in white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put in your eyes so you can see. And then finally, the last part to Laodicea in 3.21. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father in his throne. So the 24 elders are thought to be representative of glorified human beings, or in my, my personal view, the, the church. And the number 24 is only found once in Scripture, and that's when David organized all the priests in the Old Testament. And they grew, he organized them into two groups of 12 so that they would rotate shifts and be constantly on. But when they all came together, it was a representation of the whole group, the whole, the whole group of Levites. And so 24 could be just encompassing the whole group of the church, the whole group of the redeemed. And so uh, perhaps the 24 elders are, are representative of the entire church. But from the throne came flashes of light, rumbling and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and these are the seven spirits of God. So to get a good idea of the throne room, uh, if you guys remember, anybody familiar with the tabernacle? Remember that? Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. It says, they serve at the sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. Very interesting. This is what Moses warned when he was talking about building the tabernacle. See that you make it everything exactly the way I told you. Because it's a copy, it's a shadow of heaven. Very interesting. There's a, there's a thought that, that I just I was reading and, and that... Copies and shadows are less real than the real thing. So I just look at this when they're they're there in the tabernacle, as they, as you looked into this tabernacle and you saw this place and you would walk in, and there would be this lever this uh, lever of water and you'd wash your hands, but you'd walk in the door and then on the left. You'd have this menorah with these seven candlesticks lit. And on the right, you'd have the showbread. Then you'd have the veil. And behind it, there'd be the Ark of the Covenant with these crazy angels with their, with their wings going up and touching over. And then there'd be this box called the mercy seat, the bema seat. Picture, it's a picture of heaven. It's a it's a it's a layout of heaven. If you want to go into, uh, uh, I think it's where is it in Exodus. Um, anyways, it's not there in Exodus. Where is it? I'll get to it in just a second. But if you go to Exodus there and you check out the throne of the tabernacle, how they make it, it's a picture of what what heaven will look like. And so that's the imagery that that's being brought up here. And so. 
When you enter the tabernacle, the left-hand side, he's talking about the blazing lampstands. We know that that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't have form, so it has to take form of a dove. It has to take form of blazing fire or horns or whatever it is so we can comprehend it. And also, verse 6, in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Remember I told you also in the, in the tabernacle is the basin of water laying out. Always representation of the word of God. And it's kind of interesting. It might be that uh, we're just standing upon the word of God, the reality of it. Um, so perhaps the glass you see is the word, the foundation, you know. When you enter the Holy of Holies behind the veil, there was an ark, the ark of the covenant, and the golden cherubim with wings. Remember I said that touching. And in verse, in verse uh, 6b here, it says, In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in the front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. And the third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the living creatures had six wings and was covered uh, with eyes all around, even under its wing. Kind of freaky. Join that? Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We're first introduced into these creatures in Genesis when Adam and Eve had sinned. They were put there, the cherubim, to guard the gate to Eden. They had a flaming sword. I don't even think they needed the flaming sword. They just looked weird. You just run away. But Ezekiel's vision of the throne room of God was also another place in chapters 1 and 10, which parallels John's vision in Revelation. So you can do that for homework later. Go read Ezekiel chapter 1 and 10, where you have all the, uh, the wheels within a wheel and all that, right? Then Ezekiel 28 gives us a little further uh, information on the throne room of God. It talks about the cherub, and it talks about that that position was occupied by Satan himself. He was one of those beings standing before, ministering before the throne room of God, worshiping. Now, pretty soon I'm going to be teaching, a, uh, I'd like to teach a class on just the foundations of the faith. We've talked about that a little bit. One of the things you talk about is angels and demons, you know, and Satan and all this type of stuff. Satan is not God's opposite. He is not all-powerful, omniscient, everywhere at once. He's not, he doesn't like rule hell. He is a created being, fallen. And God, with one word, is going to destroy him, throw him into the lake. You know what I mean? But anyways, uh, and then in Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that uh, King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, they call him seraphim, maybe the order of the uh, cherubim. M, I, M, and the, and, and the Hebrew is, uh, is plural. It's just saying there's more than one. So when you see Elohim, the name of God, Elohim, why do they call it gods? Because he's not gods, he is one God, yet you're trying to explain God is three persons. It's kind of interesting. So Elohim um, and Seraphim, and, and he talks about it in, in Isaiah. It says, Above him were Seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy and holy, holy. 
So these crazy creatures with the face of a, a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle. And Ezekiel's uh, thing, he says each of those had that. Like, remember, uh, anybody remember He-Man? Probably five of you. <laughs> the thing that flew around. Yes. <laughs> All right. But it's interesting that those people uh, have kind of extrapolated from Christ, uh, scriptures that the Gospels are kind of like the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. That Matthew was focused on the Messiah, the lion of Judah. Mark was the servant, focused on the servant of man, Jesus Christ, the servant of God. You know, and the servant is the ox, the beast of burden. Luke focused on the Son of Man, the man. And John, the Son of God, the eagle, the deity. It's kind of interesting, those uh, interesting parallels. But their job, the job of these creatures was to, and is to, at this very moment, worship night and day. Day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then the elders respond in verse 9. When the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, then the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worships him who lives forever and ever. And they lay down their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord, O God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will, or for your pleasure, that is, they were created and have their being. And so, right now, I'm going to ask the elders to come forward. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Why? Why are they worshiping? Why are they calling out? Why give them honor and glory? Because it says right there, you see, he created all things for his pleasure, by his will, for his purpose. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my, my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever want, loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for the soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what you've done. Do you want to know the meaning of life? It's not you. It's not what you want. Everything in this world says that it is. Everything in this world points to you go fulfill you. It's all about you. And God says, no, you were created for me and my pleasure. And something about in something in humanity hates that. We rebel against that. We get prideful in our flesh. But our spirit goes, Amen. God, I have no meaning apart from you. Like Peter, where else would we go? For you alone hold the words of life. You're created 
for Christ Jesus and his glory. And when we go to the author of life and we ask him what it's all about, he's going to show us. When we begin to deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him, he will lead you into life and the meaning that he had for you. You know what the, the cool thing about this is that when we give up my own dominion, my own authority, my own rule, my throne, and we submit to the Lord Jesus, we begin to experience what we're really here for and we begin to experience satisfaction deep satisfaction in our souls and life. And very few Christians ever find it, I would say, because we are so caught up in me. Anyone struggle with that? Okay. Jesus says, you want to be my disciple. Not do you want to go to church. Not do you want to be called a Christian. Do you want to be my disciple? Jesus is into making disciples. Full on, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That means at your work, at home, whatever it is, you hear his spirit and you follow him. You deny yourself, you follow him. And you're going to begin to feel life. Now this world tells you, now that's death. Now you need to stick up for yourself. You need to, you know, don't let him run over you. Jesus is our example. We look to Jesus, who was King of kings and Lord of lords, humbled himself below the angels, took off his covering there, and kneeled down and washed his disciples' feet. That's the model we have. You want to find life, lose it. Give it to the Lord. Servant leadership. Created for your pleasure. I don't want to worship Matt. God tells us how we're to worship. We don't get to dictate to him how we worship. And it starts with a heart that is just submitted to him. That loves him. It's thankful. And then it doesn't make a difference what the music is. It doesn't make a difference what the action is. You're following them. It's worship. Your life is worship. The songs and everything. It's not just about the music. Those are expressions of the heart. I want to, we'll close real quickly. I thought I could get through the next chapter, but I, you know me. This is a, 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 a verse, uh, a text by uh, Spurgeon. Our text says, they all cast their crowns before the throne. There are no divided opinions in heaven, no sects, no parties, no schisms there. They're all in perfect harmony and sweet accord. What one does, all do. They all cast their crowns down with no exceptions before the throne. Let us begin to practice that unanimity here. As fellow Christians, let us get rid of everything that would divide us from each other or separate us from our Lord. I did not read that there was a single elder who, who envied his own brother's uh, crown and said, Ah, I wish I were such a one as he is and had his crown. I did not read that one of them began to find fault with his brother's crown and said, Ah, these jewels may be bright, but mine have a particular tint to them and are of great excellence. I did not read about dissension 
They were all unanimous in casting their crowns at Jesus' feet. They were all unanimous in glorifying God. Are we unanimous in glorifying God? When we gather together on Sundays, this place should rock. We should sing with our whole hearts to the Lord. I don't care what you sound like. I don't care what your theology is. We should sing to the Lord. Make a joyful moan. (laughs) But more importantly than when we gather together is when you're alone with the Lord, do you have a song in your heart to Him? Are you living that life of worship? Are you you living out your faith? Because you can come and you can sing the songs, but be empty in your heart. But we find our unity in him. We find this, then they all gather together. They all cast their thrones. The focus is on Jesus and what he wants and his glory and his honor. Not Matt's, not someone else's in the room. It's him. It's all about the Lord. Singing to him, playing for him, sitting for him, opening the Bible for him, helping with the kids for, for him. When you get home, loving your family for him, watching football for him, amen. <laughs> Love you, Lord, a lot today. <laughs> Anyways, so a vision of the throne, the focus is on Jesus. And then we'll go next, next week, we'll get into chapter 5, and then it says, Then I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides. And sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. And I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look inside. So John is just left there with just this horrible loss. No one's able to open the scroll. We'll talk about what the scroll means. We'll talk about who is worthy to open it up. You can take a wild guess. It's not seven, so it's got to be the other one. (laughs) Jesus, yeah. So let's stand together and let's pray. Father, I want to lift up these things to you, Father. This is not an easy passage of scripture, Father. It's, it's hard. And help us just to see you in every little bit of it. Help us to not get our eyes off the prize, Lord. We ask that you would enlighten us, Lord. Open up our hearts and our minds to receive those things that would change us. And Lord, definitely a, a vision that one day we will stand before your awesomeness, Lord, uh, should purify the way we live and walk today. So help us to live in the reality that's to come. Pray for people going through trials and heavy times, Lord. I want to thank you for life. Thank you for the babies that were born this week, Lord. Be with them. Be with their moms and their dads as they're tired. Lord, we lift up Trent Rogers, Lord, and and Michelle Rogers and, and Grayson, Lord, as he's going to go in, uh, I think, in a week or so to get uh, the second operation to be fixed. Lord, we ask that your hand would be upon him. Thank you for 
brothers and sisters in this body who, who surround people like Rick and Mozetta, Lord. Thank you so much for the Cessors, Lord, and the Diazes. And uh, just uh, I pray for just a great outpouring of love on that family. Be with them today. And Lord, help us to continue to worship you in spirit and in truth, not just in this building, but in every day. In the name of Jesus, amen.